power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. The man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, the Golden Stallion, here to bring you um, something that I've been planning to bring uh, really since 2021 and going into 2022 now. Uh, again, as I've mentioned in the past, in the recent past, that there were, as we switched over to Anchor.fm from, uh, from Podbean, there were a few episodes that anchor couldn't, you know, get automatically transferred over. And so I've had to put them in manually into the feed and you are going to get the remainder of those. So you're going to have a lot of sovereign rewinds in the feed. And most of them, I won't be putting in any kind of like custom uh, or exclusive, as I like to call it, exclusive intro or new intro, uh, new commentary at the beginning of it, perhaps updating on things. But as I've re-released the Sovereign Tech specials that didn't get brought over, um, I have been doing that because a lot of those specials were meant to be evergreen and kind of stand the test of time. Um, and some of them very much have others, perhaps not as well. And the Sovereign Tech special I am bringing you uh, about privatized space is just such a special <laughs> that perhaps has not held up um, as well as some of the others. Like the Bitcoin one, I think, still stands up pretty, pretty, pretty well. Uh, the one about dolphins being a sapient species, I think, actually holds up very well. Um, and, and some of the others do do also. But this one... This is one. Well, you got to understand, this was recorded in 2013 using a lot of the latest news at the time, which there was a lot, especially around conversations of going to Mars by, you know, everyday people effectively. Um, and as you listen to this, I think you'll soon realize, uh, wow, a lot of these things being talked about didn't happen <laughs> and they were supposed to happen either by now or very soon. For example, there was a group that planned on going to Mars and that launch was supposed to happen in 2023. That's not happening. Now, let me be abundantly clear. That's not not happening because of COVID that or the COOF. That's not not happening because it's not happening. Right. And, and you just get a bunch of people who, I don't know, whatever they, they, they just blow smoke. Well, in, in orifices and we'll, we'll leave it at that, but instead of out of the back of tailpipe, sadly, but yeah, you, you're going to realize when you listen to this. Um, and I think it's actually a great opportunity to do so of like how many dreams there were at the time of, you know, grabbing asteroid, nabbing asteroids and mining from them and creating training centers on them and all this other stuff. Again, all things that were supposed to fucking happen did not happen. And this has very much been um, the purview, it, it seems, or very much been the, the, the track record of much of the space race, which I talk about more, you know, towards the end of, uh, of the episode. Uh, and it, you can't help but feel, and it was certainly something over the years, over the, you know, real almost 10 years since this was originally recorded, um, that I have, you know, felt. And it was just a really a, a feeling that that just kept looming and getting greater and greater 
you know, over the years that, you know, a lot of the news around going to outer space just got less and less exciting. And not only this is what was really looming, not only the, the lack of excitement, but more that a lot of these announcements from NASA and other organizations were really just marketing and might even be, you know, granted NASA is a quote unquote government organization, put that in quotes, but might have to do with investment dollars, you know, in contracts and grants and, and all this other stuff and really has nothing to do with any actual uh, forward momentum in getting humanity to the stars. Um, and I've, I've been feeling that for a good long while now. Now, it's not like there, there isn't actually things being developed, new technologies um, and, you know, other news coming out of space. I mean, at the time, I don't think anybody would have guessed that in 2022, the main factor of the space race or of getting humanity into outer space that we'd be talking about would be Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin. Uh, like, I, I don't think anybody would, would have expected that back then. Also, at the time, other than me, nobody was expecting Amazon to be the juggernaut in the tech world and the world in general um, that it is. Regardless, this is something you can listen to as a snapshot of, you know, space news in 2013. Um, you will hear me again. This is Brian Sovereign from 2013 talking throughout that episode. Um you will hear me say things that probably come off as very strange <laughs> compared to the Brian sovereign you're used to over the past few years, you know? Um, and I mean, we're talking actually in many ways, not even long after I had recorded this, uh, you're going to hear me like defend some, uh, interesting concepts around property that I don't, you know, really subscribe to anymore. Um, you know, that that'll probably come off as as strange. You're going to hear me say things like I support transhumanism, which most people know. And I've held for a very long time uh, that, you know, not, like for myself anyway, I don't support transhumanism. If other people want to engage in, you know, whatever they define transhumanism as go for it. OK, like I'm certainly, you know, in the pro choice uh, camp as far as that goes. Um, but, you know, in, in fact, Ellen said this once in her brilliance, you know, that, that I am actually pro transhumanism, just my definition or my, the transhumanism I'm going for does not include, you know, cyborg parts, right? It is about evolving beyond humanity, but it's a biological, uh, transhumanism, not a technological necessarily, uh, or, you know, an, like an electronic or cyborg, you know, or again, we'll just use the term technological, um, you know, transhumanism. That's, that's not what I'm about. And at the time that this was recorded, um, I assure you that's exactly how I felt, um, about the matter. And that's exactly what I meant. And in fact, I even would go on to say that, um, I believed in this, in, in 2013, in this episode, you're about to hear that I didn't think I would ever die. So, you know, take, take that for what you will. Um, if you are a sovereign tech patron, some of these comments, uh, might be clues to subjects that we have been deep diving on, on varying Wednesday Q and A's and on the live Q and A's that we've been having over the past few months. Um, so you can see the hints of what I was talking about, you know, what I'm talking about now 
even back then in 2013, um, that I might've wanted to express more openly, but you know, got to get them out in, in this way. Uh, I mean, one of the kind of famous sovereign tech axioms, uh, that I don't believe I had said at this point, but I was certainly suggesting it, but you know, I would have said it not long after is, you know, nothing is certain, not even death and taxes. And I still stand by that statement. Um, and this is an episode that, that certainly points, you know, uh, at that, but anyway, um, I don't need to spend a ton of time here talking about this only that, uh, it's interesting to, to see how much did not happen again in what should have happened. Um, as far as my excitement around, you know, humans going to outer space, uh, that excitement on a personal level, on an individualistic level is actually still there. In fact, it's not only still there for me now, even though I said like looming lack of excitement over like news announcements, but that's more around the news and what other organizations are doing. Um, like, like, where's the, where's the dragon too? Where, where is that SpaceX? That's going to look alien. Anyway, you'll hear me talk about that. And then you're going to be like, yeah, where is that Elon? Oh, another thing that you actually can't produce because you're a freaking liar. But anyway, um, pardon me. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad one. Uh, but, um, really my excitement for humans going to outer space, uh, in many senses is at an all time high. Um, but it's at an all time high that has nothing to do with blue origin, NASA, SpaceX, the Russians go down the list. Um, and what do I mean by that? Well, that's something that we've been talking about a lot, um, on Patreon. So if you want to hear about that more, go ahead and sign up for that patreon.com slash sovereign tech. And, uh, there are conversations that will eventually get into sovereign tech proper, but it could be a while before, before we get there. But you know, you want the inside track. Patreon is the place to get it. Uh, anyway, so, you know, this is interesting, I think, to go back to and to listen to. Um, again, I have no faith in any of the companies that I talked about. I, I have no no hope in that they're going to get us much of anywhere. Um, certainly, I'll spend a lot of time in this episode talking about going to Mars. Um I don't see that happening anytime soon. And I sure as fuck don't want Elon to be the one going there. I mean, who knows what the hell that would look like. Um, but I mean, also at the same time, I'm not going to stop him, but you know, <laughs> I'm not excited for it in, in any way. Um, I mean, even other things that had to come after this episode, like Asgardia, you know, the first space nation, I haven't heard a peep out of that long before, you know, you know, any kind of conflict in Ukraine. Uh, I haven't heard a peep out of that for probably at least a year or two. And you could say it's because of COVID, but then this is, you know, the funny thing is the COOF. Okay. That whole pandemic just proves the point of why we need to get to outer space, right? <laughs> like what's better than a vaccine living on a whole other planet, <laughs> you know? And, and what all the projects are like, tanking and taking a back seat when this happens. No, if anything, this is what this should cause people to ramp up. And that did not happen. That has not happened. So again, I have no confidence and I have no excitement. Uh, you know, just, I'm not interested in a lot, you know, in what, what a lot of these other organizations, um, are doing. I'm interested by some of the technologies getting developed outside of blue origin and SpaceX, but, yeah, the big names, that's that's not where it's happening, folks. That just that's the bottom line. So anyway, please enjoy 
this snapshot uh, in the in the space race, as it were, either the race for us to get to, you know, to to other planets or however you want to consider the space race. Enjoy this again from 2013. So uh, also be be kind <laughs> to my presentation style. Uh, it was a little softer back in the day. But uh, anyway, I hope you'll enjoy it and more Sovereign Rewinds to come. I will let the episode itself ride out and I will see all of you woo, on the other side. Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready because here it comes. Tired of boring specials about history, science, and technology? Then get on your best headphones because you might want to lay down for this. A Sovereign Tech special with the world's foremost anarchist technophile, Brian Sovereign. He has a huge, well, you know. And now, here's Brian. Mm. Here I am, Brian Sovereign, the golden stallion of the tech world, here for another great, great special. That's right, and this is a special, actually, that I've been uh, I've been touting for a little while, Um and I was waiting, I have to admit, full disclosure, I was waiting on some certain information to, to kind of come out, okay? Um, and it's finally come out, the, the information being from, uh, from a couple companies, but it's finally come out, you know, it's finally all confirmed and whatever. And so now I'm comfortable talking about some of this stuff, but this is really, really exciting. What This is the privatized space special, again. And this is all about what is this? What is privatized space? You know, what, what, what are we talking about here? And what this is, we're talking about the future of space exploration for one. And for two, we're discussing how government just isn't going to be a part of it. Okay. At least not if we play our cards right. And I want to open this up. I mean, I, this is just such a fascinating topic, you know. Because a lot of times, you know, I'm, I'm a participant of the Free State Project, full disclosure. Um, the Free State Project is a uh, essentially a plan to its only mission statement is that, you know, government, uh, the maximum role of government is the protection of life, liberty and property. And it's a plan to get some odd 20,000 people um, to move to New Hampshire within a certain time frame. And when they do, you know, they can start getting freer, making freer choices in their life. Uh, they can do like maybe political action or civil disobedience or whatever kind of actions their media, whatever they kind of do. Um, and media certainly is one area where, where New Hampshire is really owning it. I mean, the amount of the amount of libertarian or anarchist or, you know, pick your pick your word, your voluntarist, whatever media that that comes out of New Hampshire is insane. No one touches it. No, the amount of liberty oriented content that comes out of there. That's the best way to say it. That comes out of New Hampshire is just, I mean, it's mind boggling and nobody even comes close. Nobody comes close. I don't care where they are. Um, so anyway, see, you have the free state project, which is the idea is, you know, to get freedom in your, you know, liberty in our lifetime to get free on earth, etc. And I think that's great. And I'm participating, you know, I'm a participant of it. I'm an early mover. I was actually, I moved, uh, within the first, 
uh, 1000 people. I think I was number 966, if I remember correctly. Uh, they have a little ticker on the website that, that tells you, um, you know, what, like when you moved, like what number mover you are. So anyway, that was the one when I clicked, when I changed my address to Keene, New Hampshire, that it came up with 966. So I'm guessing that's me anyway. And I'm all for that, but I got to say where we're really going to find freedom and where we're ever going to find any true, genuine freedom, um, like anything close to that, you know, that utopia or quote unquote, um, anarchist society, it's going to be in outer space in, in my opinion. And speaking of Liberty in our lifetime, I think I really do. I think we're going to have private space travel in our lifetime. Of course, also I am a huge supporter of transhumanism. And so I think that our lifetimes are going to, you know, uh, match the orders of Methuselah who lived 900 some odd years old. Um, if we don't just end up living forever, which is fine with me too. Uh, I have absolutely zero intention of ever dying. And I've said that for a long time, you know, kind of like the ACDC song back in black. <laughs> Isn't that fitting? Um, you know, forget the hearse cause I'll never die. And, uh, I, I, I personally, I believe that anyway, so space is the future. So let's talk about space. Here we go. We got the sovereign tech privatized space special ready to rock and roll. Um, and we're going to open up with a word from our government. <laughs> or should I say, we're going to open up with a word from NASA. Um, and this is the story is coming from the verge. Again, all this stuff will be linked to in the show notes that I'm about that. I'm going that, that I'm talking about, uh, and you can look at it there. Um, it, it won't be as like organized as an average show is. Cause I mean, there's just so much information here, but there'll be a complete list of all the articles that I'm reading from, uh, in the show notes. And you can go to soundcloud.com slash sovereign tech, or you can go to sovereigntech.com. Um, or you can go to the Google plus page or even the Facebook page first. I guess people still use Facebook. So I have a page there. Anyway, uh, this story goes from the verge. NASA chief rules out manned moon mission in the foreseeable future. Okay. So NASA administrator, Charles Bolden has dismissed the idea that the space agency will attempt another manned moon mission. Uh, speaking with contemporaries, Bolden said, NASA will not take the lead on a human lunar mission, possibly in my lifetime. Uh, Bolden added that if the next administration reverses NASA's decision, it would set back the main, the manned space program in its entirety. He warned that should we divert resources toward a manned moon mission in the future, we would probably never see Americans on the moon on Mars near an asteroid or anywhere in our lifetimes, explaining that we cannot continue to change the course of human exploration. Very depressing. Um, the agency will instead focus on a manned research mission to a nearby asteroid as it announced three weeks ago. That's not to say that we won't see another human on the moon. There are multiple companies, companies, not governments planning commercial space flights and golden spike last December committed to take people to the moon by 2020. Uh, Bolden statement echo statements echo the words of president Obama, who while making a speech at the, uh, John F. Kennedy space center acknowledged there was a desire among some to return to the moon before exploring the further reaches of space. And Obama in quotes here, I just have to say pretty bluntly here. We've been there before said Obama back in 2010. There's a lot more to space to explore and a lot more to learn when we do. Uh, clearly he knows a whole ton about space exploration um, the guy can't even manage a checkbook, but anyway, that's besides the point. So here we go. NASA is saying, guess what? We're 
and this is this is actually rather true. Um, NASA is essentially saying we're out of the space business, guys. Um, we're out of this whole like astronaut thing. We we just we don't really do that much now. Yes, they do still send people up to the International Space Station, etc. But actually, now SpaceX, which is a privatized space company that won the uh, the SpaceX Challenge, actually, uh, they're they have their Dragon capsule, which that's going up to the International Space Station now. So you already have privatized, literal private spaceships, not government spaceships, um, that are going up there and doing this. Anyway, so this is what NASA has to say. And now I think it's interesting to move on to uh, uh, a Canadian actual newspaper called the the Globe and Mail. Um, and this is written by Ivan Semenuk. So a guy named Ivan might know a thing or two about space. Anyway, the we'll just read right into it. The O'Neillians are coming. In the 1970s, fed up with government bureaucracy, the Princeton University physicist and space advocate Gerard K. O'Neill became convinced that free enterprise was the key to extending humanity's presence beyond the Earth. Now, as a flurry of newly formed companies unveil plans to mine the moon and asteroids, and a non-profit foundation seeks to launch humans to Mars, Dr. O'Neill's entrepreneurial vision, not government, entrepreneurial vision, as well as a big dose of Silicon Valley wealth, looms large behind it all. It's the expansion of the economic sphere outward to where the resources are, said Bob Richards, co-founder and uh, CEO of Moon Express, a Bay Area company that seeks the place to seeks to place the first privately financed lander on the moon. Uh, Mr. Richards left Canada in 2009, discouraged by a lack of momentum in, in a space industry reliant on government contracts, but still dreaming about the Apollo moon landings that inspired his interest in space. After spending time among California's venture capitalists, he realized he had arrived at the right place at the right time. I found the tribe that can do this, and I never left, said Mr. Richards, who spoke in Toronto on Thursday at a conference on commercial space development. Prominent among Mr. Richards' tribe are some of the region's high-tech billionaires, enthusiastic fans of space exploration whose financial clout is like a blast of oxygen to the flickering torch of the post-Apollo generation. Mr. Richards, who launched Moon Express in 2010, counts former Microsoft ex executive uh, Naveen Jain among his partners. Nice. Uh, another recently uh, formed company, Planetary Resources of Seattle, which seeks to extract the mineral wealth of near-Earth near asteroids, is backed in part by Eric Schmidt Jr. and Larry Page of Google. Google also has, uh, they have like a moon X prize. Like there was the SpaceX prize. They also have like the moon X prize. Who's the first one to land something on the moon. Uh, so all these companies, they really are putting their money where, where their mouth is, which is more than the government could say, because the government doesn't actually have any money. Uh, at least not anything real. Industry watchers say the trend was already evident a few years ago with the capital that wealthy investors like Virgin Group chairman Richard Branson and Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos poured into ventures looking to ferry tourists into low Earth orbit. But the real watershed moment may have come last May when PayPal found founder Elon Musk, who heads the aerospace company SpaceX, saw his Dragon capsule become the first private spacecraft to dock with the International, International Space Station. These guys get it, said Rick Tumlinson of Deep Space Industries, a Houston-based company that in January unveiled its own plans to develop asteroids commercially. 
The difference between SpaceX and the latest round of ventures is that while flights to low Earth orbit are supported by U.S. administration that is looking to private contractors to step into the gap created by the retirement of the space shuttles, the business case for commercial activity in deep space has yet to be put to the test. This is why the the backing of the tech titans, who made a profitable industry out of the Internet, has become crucial to the next wave of space development. These are the people who can walk the walk from a business perspective, Mr. Tumlinson said, adding, we are selling a vision, but unless we can support it with a viable business case, no one is going to work with us. There's no shortage of skeptics who point to the high cost of missions to the moon and asteroids, which so far have been mounted only by government space space agencies and cast out on a profitable return. Uh, Mr. Richards and others count that a revolution in space technology, some of it developed for military purposes and now working its way into the commercial sphere, has changed the equation. Once jump-started by an initial boost of private funding, they say a fledgling space resource economy will become self-sustaining. If so, scientists are among those who could stand to gain by hitching low-cost rides for their instruments on the wave of survey craft and moon landers that is expected to start fanning out to distant targets over the next decade. The main benefit will be cheaper and more frequent access to space said Sarah Seeger, an astrophysicist at the um, at MIT, who also advises planetary planetary resources, uh, the company, as to whether the industry has reached a turning point point on the road to an O'Neillian future. We'll have to see, Professor Seeger said. But if there's a will, there's a way. And if there's brain and if there is brain power and capital. And it would, of course, seem that there's you know, plenty of, uh, of capital available according to this article and the brain power is unmatched probably in the history of at least known history. So it, it's there. Um, and just real quick, a, a quick overview. Um, this article has of, of private, uh, publicized private plans, private ventures to, you know, to, to operate beyond Earth's orbit, uh, August, 2010, Moon Express announces plans to launch a series of robotic lunar missions focused on opening up the resources of the moon for the benefit of humanity. Um, April 2012, Planetary Resources, another company, announces plans to mine asteroids, bringing the natural resources of space within humanity's economic sphere of influence. Um, Then also December 2012, Golden Spike announces its objective of achieving affordable, reliable, and frequent human expeditions to the moon. January 2013, Deep Space Industries, DSI, announces it is building a team with the skills to turn raw asteroids into valuable products. I'm very excited about Deep deep Space Industries myself. Um, February 2013, uh, this is just, you know, a month ago or, you know, a little over a month ago, uh, U.S. multimillionaire Dennis Tito, the first space tourist, unveils a non-profit foundation to send a married couple on a return trip to Mars. Now, so there we go. We've got at least five big plans of people, you know, putting their money where their mouth is, or at least saying, hey, no, we can do this and we're going to do it. Uh, you got five different companies, um, you know, Moon Express, Planetary Resources, Golden Spike, uh, Dennis Tito, you know, whatever his, uh, he has a nonprofit anyway, that's going to do it. And then of course, Deep Space Industries. Now you can look up on YouTube. These, a lot of these guys have, again, they're publicized plans. So they have these public, um, 
you know, presentations, these videos that they've made or even talks that they've had where they're discussing what exactly their plans are. And the, the interesting thing, <laughs> the first thing that's going to step out at you when you watch these videos, and I recommend it, especially the one from D space industries is really, really good. Um, part of the reason being now they're talking, but D space industries is talking about going out, you know, way out into like, you know, the, the, what they call the, the main asteroid belt. That's literally its name is the, the main asteroid belt. Um, not like M A I N E, but M A M A I N, uh, which is to be compared with like the Coupier belt, which is, uh, you know, where, where Pluto is around there outside of there. And they're planning on doing business there and, you know, mining these, like, like the asteroid Ceres and, you know, and all these other asteroids, you know, for, uh, for various minerals, uh, you know, materials, elements, all the good stuff. And the great thing that they do they're how they're selling this. Okay. Yes. You're going to, you're going to make a lot of money, but one of the ways that D space industries in particular sells their pitch is that you can have the good life. You can have it all. And I here. All right. So, so you get that. And that's what everybody's, all these companies are doing. They're saying, no, look, we can make this eventually. We'll make, I know it's expensive now, but we'll make it a little affordable later. But they're all saying the same thing. We can have it all. There's abundance. We can do it, you know, and, and you can, you can live that life. You can live the good life, whatever that may mean to you. And I think that is fantastic. And the stark contrast is that when the government wants to go do something, oh, why are we going to do it? Well, because it's there. That that's from a John F. Kennedy speech, very famous when he's like, why are we going to the moon? He's like, ah, because it is that, you know, and, you know, when the guy went to go climb Mount Everest, he asked, why did he climb? He's like, because it was there. Now, while all that is relatively impressive, I guess, you know, it's impressive speech. It doesn't really say a whole lot, you know, no, no. Why are we going there? And there's, there's just not. Yeah, I mean, yes, as humans, we naturally want to explore. Sure. But there's not that like that grand reason. I mean, and what, what reason can government give? You know, is government going to say, yeah, we're going to do that. That way we can supply, you know, more materials for you and we can do all this stuff for you and everything. And no, they don't say that at all. You know, in fact, they turn it into pretty much a game of football where it's like, OK, we got to we got to make the touchdown first before the Russians do. And that's, that's what the space race is all about. Not about humans getting, being better off. The space race is about dick measuring, quite frankly. Or, well, actually, you know, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in the show. Uh, a lot of the reasons that NASA gives for going into space um, are nonsense. And they're, they're, they, had, they have well-documented reasons as to why, and it's nothing that they told the American people. Um, anyway, but do you see my point here? is that here, here it is in microcosm, a picture of what it's like doing things on planet earth. Why does a private business do it so that they can make money? And the only way they can make money is by turning a profit to you. Okay. Is by giving you a good, you know, or you a service or you an abundance of some kind to where it makes them money. It's entrepreneurship, plain and simple. Okay. Why does government go? I don't know. They just, they just take your money. They don't even ask you for it to see if you have any worth out of it. They just take it and they say, yeah, well, we're going to go to space. We need to launch this. We want to do this. We want to do that. 
you know, now we talked about, we read the article from, from the chief of NASA who said, look, we're not sending a man, we're not doing it. We're, we're just not doing a manned mission to the moon. We're just not. Why? Because the budget, they, we'll, we'll read an article about this, but NASA has no budget. I mean, almost none. They've turned into, NASA has turned into a weather station. They've turned into a weather program. I mean, okay, maybe they're using Hubble to like look at stars way out there, but they're not doing the big stuff anymore. And now they admit it. Now the chief of NASA, that article is from a week ago in April of 2013. And they said, yeah, we can't change the course of history anymore. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with me, Brian Sovereign, the man who always wears triple black. Sovereign Tech is a show about science and technology and how it can set you free. Remember, Sovereign Tech only endorses businesses and products that we genuinely believe in and support ourselves. If you have a product or website that you would like to have reviewed, you can email the show at SovereignTech at Hush.ai. Please keep in mind that the reviews on Sovereign Tech pull no punches. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Sovereign Tech. This is Brian Sovereign with you, of course, the Rembrandt of the podcast canvas here with the privatized space special of Sovereign Tech, Um, uh, an episode that I had been promising for quite a while, and now we can finally do it and we're going to finally get it out there. Um, So we were talking about we ended off the last segment with the fact that NASA doesn't have a budget. Um, and so, you know, is this true? Well, let's back this up. This, uh, article comes from io9 and the article is most Americans predict humans on Mars by 2033 are utterly deluded about NASA's budget. Okay. What does that mean? Uh, the article continues in the wake of the wildly successful landing of NASA's Mars science laboratory curiosity Rover on August 6, 2012. It may come as no surprise that the American public are currently feeling rather enthusiastic about exploring Mars. The sentiment has been now been bolstered by a recent poll carried out for the nonprofit corporation explore Mars by the global communications company, Phillips and company after surveying over a thousand people, 71% of the participants said they feel confident the U S will land a human on Mars within the next two decades. So by 2033, uh, on average, the same sample said they believe the U S government spends 2.4% with a standard deviation of 1.68% of the federal budget on NASA. After they were told the agency currently has two operational rovers on the Martian surface. This sadly is woefully over optimistic. Um, the current allocation for NASA is a skinflint point five, 0.5%. That's 17.7 billion of the 2013 federal budget. By comparison, the average federal budget allocated to NASA during the Apollo program in the 1960s and early 70s represented 2.8%, a whole over 2% points. Okay? Needless to say, when NASA, when informed that NASA gets such a small slice of the federal pie, 75% of the respondents said they strongly agree or agree that it is worthwhile to increase NASA's percentage of the federal budget to 1% to fund a mission to Mars. Despite difficult economic times, the American people are still inspired by space exploration and are committed to human exploration of Mars, said Chris Carberry, executive director of Explore Mars. 
This is a wake-up call to our leaders that Americans are still explorers. On top of the respondents' to-do list on Mars was to first achieve a greater understanding of the red planet, followed by a search for extraterrestrial life and the red soil. Um, Another priority was to maintain U.S. leadership in commercial, scientific, and national defense applications. Despite the politics, NASA keeps surprising the world by what they can do with the tight budget they've been allocated. But landing a one-ton rover on Mars without... Although mind-blowing, costs a lot less than mounting a human expedition. So if the 71% want to see a NASA-led human mission, they'll have to start bugging their representatives to support an increase in the space agency's budget. Otherwise, it's down to the commercial space sector to spearhead mankind's next great interplanetary adventure. And, of course, that's what we were just talking about is that, you know, these governments can't do it. So, you know, it's a funny thing. So many Americans want to go do this. I wonder why they haven't thought, gee, you know, maybe if we could just stop fighting all these wars on planet Earth, we could give more money to NASA. Now, let me make my position clear as an anarchist that I don't want, you know, I I don't want there to be governments. So NASA, you know, is kind of an anathema to me. And admittedly, though, that was like the last program That was like the last piece of government that I was like proud of, you know, I'm like, well, we did have NASA and, but you you know what I mean? I would rather, if I have to pay into the system, you know what I mean? If, if my money's going to get stolen from me through taxation, if I have to pay into the system, I'd much rather go to NASA and have send people to Mars than to send people to their death. I'm shocked that Americans weren't like, yeah, you know what? Can't, can't we just like do that? In fact, if you want to solve the problem with terrorists, just get up into space. You know, they're supposedly also backwater. They're really not. They're supposedly also backwater. You know, they couldn't follow you. So let's just take the whole country up there. So I'm intrigued. You know, I think there was some fudging of the numbers or like fudging of the attitude of these people that somehow they're like really excited about space exploration because um, I just, you know, I wasn't alive in the sixties when the Apollo missions were going on. Um, but I don't, I really, I don't sense that fervor anymore for people that, that want to do space exploration. Um, I, I just, I don't feel that it's there. It's unfortunate that it isn't because again, I think it's the real future. Um, but at least the fervor, like we discussed in the last segment, at least the fervor fervor seems to be alive and well in, uh, in these privatized companies. And speaking of one of them, uh, planetary resources, they actually reported that, Now, here's something NASA does want to do is they want to bag an asteroid. So this is NASA's solution. No, we won't go to Mars. We won't go to the moon, but we'll do this. Uh, Word is leaking out. This is according to the article uh, about NASA's plans to catch an asteroid with a robotic spacecraft and tow it back toward Earth, where it would then be placed in a stable orbit around the moon. There, it can be a nearby destination for NASA's human exploration program and serve as an initial facility to help the development of of asteroid mining technology. Uh, as U.S. Senator Bill Nelson noted, the plan combines the science of mining an asteroid along with developing ways to deflect one, along with providing a place to develop ways we can go to Mars. With the plans, uh, while the plan sounds out of uh, far left field, it's based upon a recent study led by the Keck Institute for Space Studies. The study sought to find ways to retrieve an entire small asteroid within reach of NASA's heritage technology. Uh, I participated in this study along with Planetary Resources Advisor. Um, It is very exciting that NASA is considering this bold step. Now, wait a second. (laughs) Which one are they doing? 
Because you're saying, no, there won't be any manned missions. We're not doing any of this stuff in our lifetime. But then they're planning this, you know, that they want to they want to capture an asteroid. And essentially, it sounds like they want to use it almost as a uh, as kind of a training ground um, and put it around orbit of the moon. Now, at least that's smarter than they're, they're putting it around the orbit of the moon instead of the orbit of Earth. But this is this is kind of weird. And this isn't cheap. Um I don't have the article up right now, but there were people reporting on this saying, wait a minute, you, you can't afford to just send people up there, but you can afford to pull this off. Uh, interesting also is that, you know, I wonder how this article here doesn't discuss it, but they're saying now the, the European Space Agency is saying that Phobos around Mars was put there artificially, just like they're talking about doing this with the moon. Interesting. We'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. Are you ready? I've never seen anyone so treated like a a god in my life. Brian Sovereign as guest co-host tomorrow night, and so that should be a good show. On that note, uh, what we just we added ch- Brian Sovereign. Okay, we haven't. Oh, is he good? He's, he's been in the audience. He's, oh, yeah, he's yeah, certainly got opinions on things. Yes. I'm so close to being like God. No one is above me. Okay, absolutely no one. I don't take <laughs> orders from anybody. And I mean that—that's how much closer to God can you get? Is there anything he doesn't do better than everyone else? Oh, that's just his way of talking. He's one of the best. Break it down. Catch Sovereign Tech, the show about technology and how it can set you free. With me, Brian Sovereign. That's S O V R Y N at soundcloud.com slash sovereign tech. We are back with more sovereign tech. It is I, Brian Sovereign, with you, and we are talking space travel the private way. We left off the last segment with talking about how we mentioned Mars. So let's go to Mars and we'll talk about one of the projects that we discussed in the very first segment of the show, which was Dennis Tito. And this article is from space.com, a great website. If you, if you've never gone to space.com, uh, check them out. Uh, they, it's, it's just a top, top notch, uh, news site as far as anything space related goes. And, uh, the article goes, Dennis Tito's 2018 human Mars flyby mission explained. And it gives, there's a nice infographic here that you'll be able to look at. It shows kind of the, the spacecraft they're using. Interestingly enough, the spacecraft they're using looks a lot like the constellation, um, spacecraft that NASA was designing before they scrapped, um, any kind of like real human space travel type things. Uh, it was supposed to be the, re- the replacement for the space shuttle program, which was retired uh, a couple of years ago. And um, so interestingly, this looks like that, which the Constellation um, program, the, the vehicles that they made for that also interestingly looked exactly like the vehicles from the Apollo missions in the 1960s, you know, because government's really good at innovating. Um, anyway, so, you you'll be able to find this in the show notes and look at the um you know take a look at the uh at the infographic and i think they're pretty much just using a dragon capsule which spacex designed and that and that's fine i mean spacex is just picking up the pieces you, you know what i mean and uh 
they're they're doing you know the fastest proven way really to get into space i think they're trying to build a reputation and so even while you know this the the spacecraft looks like something very very old um it did work you know what i mean it did work but obviously we're not thinking forward but we will talk about where spacex is thinking forward with their dragon 2 in a little bit here uh practical schemes for sending mars sending humans to mars have been on the drawing boards for more than 60 years originally planned by Werner von Werner, oh it says it here pioneering space engineer Werner von braun author of the 1950 book 1952 book project mars proposed mars flyby flights using apollo lunar spacecraft in the 1960s in 2013, Dennis Tito's Inspiration Mars Foundation, that's his nonprofit, announced plans to launch a spacecraft on a mission to fly past Mars without landing uh, in 2018. So no one's landing with, with this mission. They're just going to do a little flyby. Okay. While a decision on the flight vehicle has not yet been made and the SpaceX Dragon capsule has yet to carry a crew as of, as of early 2013, here is a look at how the mission would work. And, of course, it shows you the, the, the photos here. For Mars flight, the capsule would have to be modified to support two astronauts for the 501-day round trip. 501 days. An inflatable... Habitation module could be docked to the front of Dragon for additional living space and for carrying more supplies. Now, this is a very popular idea because in space, you know, you don't have gravity. So you could essentially like stick out giant balloons or at least, you know, you don't have the gravity of Earth, I should say. So you, you have these giant balloons that can like stick out of things and, and they create, I mean, very, very, you know, dense material that they can make it out of, but they can just blow it, blow it up. And then you have you know, all this room to kind of like live in. Now, obviously it's not something if you're going at exceptionally high speeds, perhaps closer to the speed of light, if we ever achieve that, which we may talk about, um, you wouldn't want to be inside something that's inflatable, <laughs> but it's there and it could be, it could make for a very enjoyable time. Um, and the crew of two would, let's see, yeah, okay, so the crew of two would probably consist of a middle-aged married couple, which is what we talked about earlier. The danger of radiation damage during the flight would suggest that a man and a woman who are past reproductive age would be preferable. Uh, the Dragon capsule would be lofted into space by the Falcon Heavy Booster. The 2018 launch window represents a rare opportunity for a fast trip of only 501 days. Uh, look, obviously, that's close to two years. The flight path is of the gravity assist type, where the spacecraft falls along its course without the need for major rocket engine firings. In uh, 1956, Italian astronomer Gaetano Crocco wrote a paper detailing how a spaceship could coast all the way around Mars and back to Earth without using rockets along the way. This trajectory is called a free return and was also used by the Apollo astronauts to reach the moon. Um, so essentially they would use the, they would use the gravitic pull of of a planetoid in this case mars and it would slingshot them around it would whip them around and send them on their way back to earth and as there's nothing to stop their inertia uh they would just keep going and they wouldn't actually need fuel to do it they they just go endlessly uh, mariner 10 was the first unmanned probe to use a gravity assist technique to visit venus and mercury in the early 1970s the plan for the inspiration mars flight calls for the spacecraft to first fall inward toward the sun to be accelerated by the sun's gravity, then the craft is hurled outward, passing Earth's orbit to intercept Mars near the height of its trajectory. So, whew, that's a ride. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back with Ray Moore. We'll talk more about uh, we'll talk more about Mars in just a moment. This is Brian Solomon. 
in the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. All fighter squadrons launch. Return fire. Freedom! Watch Babylon 5. You can watch Babylon 5 and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the wb.com slash shows slash Babylon 5. Welcome back to Sovereign Tech. Here with your privatized space special, it is I, Brian Sovereign, the apex of own sauce. And we're talking Mars right now. Uh, we've been kind of going all across the board what NASA isn't doing, what privatized people, privatized companies are doing instead. And right now we're on Mars. Um, so we talked in the last segment about how, you know, someone could do like a flyby of Mars, you know, through a slingshot process of, you know, whipping a, a craft around. Um, so let's talk, let's talk a little bit more. What are the other plans for Mars? And this is this article's from VentureBeat. It's by the uh, beautiful Jolie O'Dell, uh, really. And Mars One announces university partnership to put humans on Mars permanently. Now, Mars One, it's a website you can check out. I'll put it in the show notes. Mars One is a, is a kind of a think tank to get people onto Mars. Um, and here we go with the article. Mars One, a commercial, a commercial space mission intended to put humans in a permanent Martian colony by 2023 has just announced its first science and education partner, University of Twente, a Dutch institution with an entrepreneurial edge. I find that incredibly, myself, I find this incredibly ironic that uh, the Dutch would <laughs> would be behind some serious exploration once again. Um, if you know any of your uh, 17th or 18th century history, you'll, you'll get that, that irony. Anyway. The mission sounds like a crazy one at the outset without the support of any governmental space agency, sending human beings to a faraway planet with no plans to ever bring them back to earth. But founder Bass Landstrup remains undeterred following through on his dream with practical financial plans and the million baby steps between an idea and a launch. Mars one started recruiting civilian astronauts early this year. The company got its first funding a month later and followed that up with its first federally approved contract for developing materials and equipment for the mission uh that just le led into a key as to part of the problems with a lot of these anyway today's baby step uh today's baby step brings in the organization's intellectual partner for the mission university of twente will put its uh scientific research and educational weight behind the startup and its goals helping mars one to develop survival techniques for life on an alien world so they're i mean they're thinking Okay, what do we need? What do we need? You know, I don't know if they're going to pull off. Like I remember uh, Carl Sagan often talked about um, like having black, like genetically engineered plants on Mars that were actually black so that they would collect more um, sunlight. And so, you know, whether they're planning on things like that, I don't know, but uh, interesting stuff. Anyway, for starters, Mars One employees will contribute, will be contributing to a new engineering college within the university called the Atlas College. The program will launch this September and will encourage engineering students to focus on breadth of study to solve big societal global problems. The university's robotics and mechatronics departments, in turn, will be making contributions to Mars One's robotic vehicles and behavioral scientists will be working with the mission's astronauts, astronaut recruits on 
coping mechanisms for high risk, low certainty living situations. Okay. So it's a scary thing is what they're saying. And we've got to look at the psychology. Okay. You know, we do, we don't want you to freak out. There's going to be points to something no one's ever done before. And we need you to kind of keep your cool. So that's what they're talking about. Okay. The article continues. The Mars one mission shows a lot of courage and ambition. And the team clearly dares to think big said university of Twente, uh, rector magnificus, magnificus and professor, uh, Ed Brinksman, an emailed statement, uh, an emailed statement on the partnership, uh, as an entrepreneurial university, their enterprising spirit appeals to us a great deal. We hope that from the complexity of an expedition to Mars, new research projects will sprout as spinoffs in the fields of solar energy and recycling solutions for problems we now face on earth. Um, interesting points. In fact, like there's a lot of people who say that, you know, what, one of the nice things, if we actually were settled on Mars is that we could do all this like industry, you know, all this big industry that produces all these pollutants and causes a global warming because you'd actually want it to happen on Mars. As we're on Earth, you know, theoretically, it's killing everything. On Mars, you actually want that to occur. So, you know, so Mars is appealing to a lot of people with these under, you know, these kind of underlying um, um, thoughts, I think, that these articles aren't necessarily mentioning, but they're out there. But that's why we're doing a Cybertech special on it. Um, one last thing on Mars, and this is kind of the information. This article uh, is literally from, it's from like today. Uh, today being uh, April 9th. And this is kind of the information that I was looking for. And it's from Mashable. Is Mars for sale? Wow. By Amanda Mills. Early explorers risked their lives to reach the ends of the world, but not purely for the advancement of mankind. In reality, this is the article. In reality, their bravery was motivated by one very powerful prospect, the possibility of wealth, be it treasure or land. Today, Mars is our land beyond the horizon, a territory that can only be reached by plunging off the edge of our flat, incomplete map. But just like settling sail to the uh, setting sail to the unknown west, sending a human to Mars is enormously expensive, not to mention dangerous, perhaps even deadly. Um, but even with the clear risks, people are sinking millions into private Mars colonization projects. Will they eventually pull a King Ferdinand and claim Martian land as their own? Uh, one treaty that holds the cards. There aren't really any laws that have been tested and widely adopted with respect to extraterrestrial land ownership or even ownership of the stuff that we bring back, says Andrew Rush, a space lawyer who regularly works with emerging aerospace companies. Rush says the most applicable piece of law we have regarding real estate outside of Earth is the Outer Space Treaty, which was served as the basic framework for international space law since 1967. More specific, Article 2 of the treaty addresses claiming ownership of extraterrestrial property. Outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, is not subject to national appropriation by claim of sovereignty, by means of use, or occupation by any other means. However, Rush tells Mashable, any attorney could poke holes in the Outer Space Treaty because there are a lot of loose ends. It all comes down to vague phrasing, starting with the term celestial bodies, which isn't defined. Uh -huh. The question is, what is a celestial body? Is it a tiny asteroid? Does it include Mars? That's an open question, says Rush. The second phrase that stands out is national appropriation. To understand why, you must first put the Outer Space Treaty into context. It was written and signed before man ever went to the moon. 
The main reason for its creation stemmed from fear that the United States would plant a flag on the moon and claim ownership. The treaty was an effort to avoid fighting over territory. When considering both the literature and the time surrounding the formation of this treaty, it's pretty clear that they weren't trying to exclude private ownership, Rush says. It was addressed towards government bodies. However, Base Landstrip, head of Mar, uh, private Mars colonization venture Mars One we were just talking about, disagrees with Rush's translation of Article 2. As far as we know, which is confirmed by our experts, it is not possible to claim ownership of Mars land. Article 2 of the Outer Space Treaty forbids appropriation, he tells Mashable via email. What goes for governments also goes for individuals in those governments. Ugh. Uh, although Landstrap intends to send humans on a one-way mission to Mars in 10 years, he says that doesn't mean he will own the land. After all, colonization implies populating, cultivating, and sharing a territory. To illustrate his point, Landstrap points to Dennis Hope, an entrepreneur who claimed ownership of the moon, then in 2009 maintained he had sold more than 2.5 million one-acre lunar plots for about $22 each. Hope said the Outer Space Treaty, which is quarterbacked by the United Nations, did not apply to him because he was an individual not a country. We're going to finish up this article in just a moment. We'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. It is time for more Sovereign Tech. Here we go. Let's get right back into the article from Mashable. We were talking about uh, this amazing story about Dennis Hope, who said he owned the moon and he was selling off, you know, one acre plots for 22 bucks a pop. Um, so anyway, Hope, who leads the Lunar Embassy Corporation, then went on to establish his own galactic government. See, he said, look, this this treaty, the open uh, the Outer Space Treaty that um, that we were talking about earlier, he he said it doesn't apply to me. It, the Outer Space Treaty just applies to governments, not to individuals. Uh, and there's some argument over that. Anyway, so he starts his own galactic government, complete with the Constitution, Congress, and its own currency. He fought to receive official recognition and argued that because the galactic government was not part of the U.N., any agreements regarding the moon were irrelevant. So far, he hasn't been successful. So he's still trying to get his galactic government off the ground. Um, the position of the galactic government is that we're not trying to distance ourselves from other governments. We just want recognition so we can work together, Hope told National Geographic in 2009. When it comes to the moon, another piece of law called the 1979 Moon Treaty creates much more red tape for lunar entrepreneurship. The stringent treaty explicitly excludes national and personal ownership of the moon, but there's a catch. Only 17 countries have signed. Five have it ratified, or five have ratified it, and none of those are spacefaring nations. It's like a landlocked territory dictating how a coastal territory uses its port, says Rush. But we were here first. It isn't that that's a byline. It isn't entirely fair to equate future Mars explorers with Hope, who has never been in orbit, let alone set foot on the moon. If Hope had poured money into a successful trip to the lunar surface, he may have had a better case. In theory, that same notion applies to private Mars colonization projects. However, Tanja Masan-Zwan, deputy director of International Institute of Air and Space Law and one of Mars One's legal experts, says the law won't bend even for someone who does complete a successful Mars mission. 
Landing there does not change anything. States, uh, states cannot appropriate, neither can their citizens, she tells Mashable via email. It would be too easy to say my government cannot use a nuclear weapon, but I as a citizen am not bound by any treaty provision that my government accepted, so I am free to do as I like. This argument simply does not fly. Now, obviously, they're, that's ridiculous. There, there's a real problem with that, but um, we'll, we'll go on. If all goes according to plan for Landsorp and his Mars One Venture, a group of at least 30 humans will settle on Mars in 2023. The colony will expand every few years as another group arrives to spend the rest of it to spend the rest of its participants' lives on the Red Planet. And as that settlement grows, more and more Martian land will be used. As Earth's own colonization history has proved, placement and subsequent expansion of a settlement has essentially led to ownership of the land of that land. But Landsorp disagrees. Uh, it is allowed to use land, just not say that you own it, he says. It is also allowed to use resources that you need for your mission. Don't forget that a lot of these rules were made long ago when a human mission to Mars was not within reach. Now, that's an inaccurate statement because uh, Werner von Braun clearly was planning on a Mars landing. And that was, that was in 1952 with his book Project Mars, which was made long before these laws were ever made. So Landsdorp is dead wrong. As far as that goes, uh, even if you could find a solid rod of gold or a big diamond, it would cost more to ship it to Earth than you would make selling it, he says, maybe at this point in time. Mars One operates as a nonprofit entity and the money raised will be used to fund its six billion dollar mission. However, Landsdorp says if Mars One can sift through the regulations of sending materials from Mars to Earth, he may be interested in bringing home Martian rocks for research, but uh, also for our business case. Imagine how many people would be interested in a grain of sand from the new world, he says. In that case, Lands, Lansdorp, who maintains that Mars One will not work with federal agencies in order to avoid politics, says he'll make those materials available, but not for free. Uh, any research institute, including NASA, would be able to purchase parts of what we bring back to Earth, he says. Okay, so <laughs> here's people being very confused because, like, this is the whole idea, and you can look this up on Wikipedia, of there, there's some people, there's some anarchists who believe in the idea of personal property and private property, and that private property is stuff that you can pick up and carry with you. Personal property is, like, land, and that there's somehow a difference between the two, that you can't own land. Um, of course you can own land. Of course you can own Mars. Is Mars technically for sale? You know, I think so. <laughs> and I think this this leads me to think, you know, this article and uh, the, the lawyer rush on this did just did a great, great job of, of laying out the big questions that no one had asked up until now. This is all new stuff that the governments don't have any restriction of, of this stuff. Anyway, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. This is Brian Sovereign. Are you searching for a mouth-watering, all-natural, sweet and sticky treat? What if I told you it was also made by a chef who believes in freedom, just like you? You're not dreaming. This is real. Head over to mandrik.com. That's M-A-N-D-R-I-K.com. There you'll find George's famous baklava in classic and dark chocolate flavors. Mm. To those with special health needs, George's famous baklava also has a treat for you. Golden Delicious Low-Carb Gluten-Free Almond Cookies. Order with PayPal or Bitcoins. In just a few days, your sweet treats will await you right at your doorstep. 
One more time, that's M-A-N-D-R-I-K dot com for George's famous basketball. Welcome back to Sovereign Tech. It is I, Brian Sovereign, with you. And we are talking space. Privatized space. Yeehaw. Um, you know, some of the things we didn't mention, because uh, I'm going to go into, we're going to go past Mars now, but some of the things we didn't mention is there. there's talk about people doing space hotels. Uh, there's talk of, you know, there's Virgin Galactic uh, by Richard Branson, Branson that's going to, um, you know, they have like Spaceship Two, which is going to put you on a, somewhat of an orbital flight, not really in orbit, but it's going to allow you to essentially go into space, you know, for uh, a price tag of, you know, $25,000 or something along those lines. And so we're not really mentioning those. I'm going a lot bigger. I'm going a lot. I want to go a lot deeper. Um, you know, I mean, I think a lot of these orbital things that people are talking about doing are very, are absolutely going to come into fruition um, because a lot of these companies that are planning on doing like these hotels and things of that nature uh, are getting all the government contracts that they need to do it. Uh, some of these, some of the things we've talked about, like what's going on with Mars are starting to get some degree of government contracts, but it's not all happening. Um, Anyway, let's look at, let's go past Mars and let's just past Mars, actually. And let's go to the main asteroid belt uh, that is just beyond Mars. And this is Deep Space Industries. And they're saying that an asteroid in 20, uh, a particular asteroid called 2012 DA-14 is worth $195 billion. Okay. Obviously, that sounds very exciting. This comes from the Digital Journal. Uh, the article goes, Prospective asteroid miners, D-Space Industries, say asteroid 2012 DEA-14, set to brush past Earth on Friday, may be worth $195 billion. Uh, this is an asteroid that went by back in February. And an official of the company said the asteroid may harbor $65 billion of recoverable water and $130 billion in metals. Uh, Digital Journal reports that 2012 DA-14 will brush past Earth on Friday at a distance. Yeah, so that's the one that came really close. Everybody was talking about it back in February 2013. Um, Let's see. Space.com reports that D-Space Industries, however, admitted that the estimate of $65 billion of recoverable water and $130 billion in metals is just an optimistic guess because 2012 DA-14's composition has not been ascertained. Besides, its estimated size is based only on the rock's brightness. Um, D-Space's optimistic guess has been disputed, which is true. Um, there, there's been some companies that have come out and say, no, it's not worth $195 billion. But D-Space Industries' point is, is that the potential is there for it to be worth that much and that it isn't uncommon. Okay? And so they're looking into, you know... Getting into these asteroids, you know, say ones that come nearby, uh, maybe they're the ones that are, that would be working with NASA to possibly, you know, cause NASA wants to bring in that asteroid that circles around the moon for a little while, um, and, you know, do their business with that. Uh, let's see, we'll go on with the article. Uh, Digital Journal reports that Deep Space Industries says it wants to use asteroid resources to help humanity establish a firmer foothold to conquer new frontiers in space. According to Digital Journal, the company plans to pioneer efforts to build robotic spacecraft that can mine precious metals from asteroids. The company announced recently its plan to launch a fleet of prospecting spacecraft in 2015, just a couple of years away. We're in 2013 right now. 
and begin harvesting metals and water from near earth asteroids by 2025. Um, and the, then of course their, their major plan is, you know, again, to go beyond and even, you know, hit up the main asteroid field. Uh, space.com reports that the goal of asteroid mining ventures is to reduce the amount of material that space missions need to source and launch from the earth. The website reports it costs at least $10 billion to launch one ton of material into orbit. Uh, Tomlinson said getting these supplies to serve communication satellites and coming crewed missions to Mars from in-space sources like asteroids is key if we are going to explore and settle space. According to Digital Journal, D-Space Industries says it plans to build a set of spacecraft known as Firefly, that's funny, that will fly missions in search of asteroids that may be mined. The Firefly fleet will be followed by a fleet of spacecraft called Dragonfly that will bring asteroid samples back to Earth for assessment in the search for mining targets. Uh, The company also plans to extract ice water from asteroids that will be used to produce hydrogen and oxygen for use in rocket fuel. The company hopes to establish space gas stations, quote-unquote, where spacecraft on deep space voyage uh, may stop to refuel. Okay, awesome. You know, absolutely awesome. So no humans involved. They're just going to launch up some robotic spacecraft uh, that can communicate and they're going to find, you know, these asteroids that that can, you know, figure it out. And with any luck, these, you know, these uh, these probes essentially that they're going to send out uh, this, you know, fleet of robotic ships will be able to kind of refuel themselves maybe naturally. I mean, and they're, they're planning on starting launching these things in two years. This is happening. Okay, this is really, you know, as long as the funding's there, this is really going to be happening. Uh, Obviously, like I said earlier, the government or like this article even claimed the government was downplaying. They had all their scientists come out and say, oh, no, 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 it's not worth that much. Don't don't get so excited about this. Um, If people didn't think it was worth that much, DSI, D-Space Industries, would not be getting so much funding as they are. Uh, They're, you know, none of this would be coming into fruition. Do you understand what I'm saying? If people thought that it was just that wacky. You know, we're not talking about this isn't some like religious case where a guy comes through and says, yeah, look, you know, this this uh, the spaceship's going to fly by. And if you kill yourself right at that moment, you know, you'll live forever. No cost, no cost to you. No, no, it's nothing crazy like that. You have to, to get the kind of money that it takes to, to do these projects. You've got to deliver a real business plan to real people with real money. OK, so these guys aren't crazy in what they're pulling off. They're just, they're not crazy. Um, now real quick. So we talked about DSI. Something else I want to bring up is the, we were talking about, okay, what kind of, you know, with, when humans get up there, what kind of craft are we going to use? They talked about using the, the dragon SpaceX's dragon capsule. And, and I kind of knocked on it and said, well, you know, that's like 60 years old or or not six. Yeah. Well, almost 60 years old, I guess. Uh, but that's like 50 years old. It's old tech. You know, the government never really innovated, um, outside of the space shuttle, which may not have been their original design in the first place. Hmm. That's an interesting thing. And so, you know, when are we going to start looking forward? I mean, that's like the whole thing, right? Is that government doesn't innovate, but somehow private corporations do. So why aren't the private corporations innovative? Well, first off, SpaceX did innovate, um, with their ability to even get into space. But second off is that they have the dragon two coming out and there's a lot of little designs out there. I'll share a link uh, in the show notes. There's a lot of designs that are being tossed around out there. And they said, and, and pretty much the, the head of SpaceX said, this thing's going to look like an alien spaceship. You know, they said, believe me, we're innovating. We're going to make something that you've just never seen before. And now, 
is it going to be too different? Because I mean, there are, you know, kind of the, the laws of aerodynamics, you know, or I mean, not the laws, but there's, you know, there's good aerodynamics and there's bad aerodynamics. So, you know, I don't know how weird it's going to end up looking, but there's some designs out there and it's very, very intriguing. Okay. So they are planning on updating, you know, how we get up there, you know, the, the ships that, that get used and, this, you know, again, this is happening. We've got, you know, asteroid mining that's essentially going to start or at least begin its search in 2015. They're going to be hoping to have gas, you know, inter interstellar gas stations, quote unquote, set up by 2025. Um, and if the government would just keep its regulations out of the way, first off, all this probably would have already happened because it's not like we just suddenly have a ton of billionaires. We've had quite a few billionaires for some time and all these things could have already been happening. You know, and as to what exactly suddenly, you know, is it because the government just doesn't have the money anymore to do it, that they're loosening up the regulations and allowing other companies to do it now? I don't know. But there's something weird, even weirder than that, that makes, that brings me pause. And we're going to talk about it in just a moment on Solid Tech. I'll be right back. This is Stephanie Murphy, Sovereign Tech Producer. You may know me from this show, but did you know that I have my own podcast? It's called Pork Therapy. Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech. Here we are with more Sovereign Tech, and we are on our privatized space special, as you know, and now we're going to get into, we talked about what these guys, you know, what all these private companies plan on doing, these space industries, Mars One, um, Elon Musk has plans for, for Mars, and now here here's the part that, that may not have been, you know, readily apparent in how I presented it. All, a lot of these plans... Um, except for a couple, there's a couple that were like in 2010 and, uh, in 2012, but all these plans suddenly started to get funded and suddenly started to get taken seriously and get press started to get talked about in the news in like February of 2013, just like kind of out of nowhere. And like in this two week span, suddenly they got, you know, this was just before like March Suddenly they, there was all this talk, you know, Elon Musk is going to go there. We're going to send a married couple there. Uh, you know, the Dennis Tito is going to do, uh, you know, D space industries, they released their, their presentation, which, you know, again, beautifully stated, you can have it all. You can have the good life. Um, everything, all this stuff, you know, so there was just like this boom of privatized space plans that go beyond orbit of the earth. You know, again, there's a lot of things I think that are going to happen very, very soon. No question about it uh, around the orbit of the Earth. I mean, there's stuff that happens around, you know, with like satellites going up and, and all this. Um, Scotland even just sent up their first satellite the other day. Uh, you know, a, lo- a lot of this stuff is going on, um, you know, around the orbit of the Earth. And that's not a big deal. But I'm talking about going like to the moon and beyond. And 
so a funny thing happens. <laughs> Suddenly all this press gets out there again, that all these people are going to do it. It seems like people are apparently excited about the idea of going to Mars or of going to the moon again. I mean, the reason the, you know, the head of NASA, uh, just the, uh, just y- yesterday, um, or it would have been April 8th, 2013, uh, made a statement that, look, we're not going to the moon does seem to imply that people were like, okay, yeah, can we go to the moon now? Let's go do this. So there's this excitement and what happened, you know, why, like I said before, there's people that wanted to do this before and there was a lot of excitement before. And in fact, some people even argue like with Werner von Braun, uh, he had like a three stage rocket that could have made it to Mars. There's some people that argue that, you know, haven't we sort of had all this technology all along? And there's some credence to that because like we said, um, the, what Dennis Tito wants to do where he's sending, uh, possibly a SpaceX dragon, which again is essentially a slightly modernized Apollo capsule from the 1960s. They're going to send that up, you know, and whip it around. It's going to do its whole thing. We're 1960s technology. Why didn't the government do this before? Why did the government go to space in the first place? Now, I mean, maybe that's a question for another time. Uh, part of the reason that I think that, you know, go, the government, especially the United States government was so interested. Well, the United States and the, and the USSR were so interested in getting into space in the forties and fifties was surveillance. And there's plenty of documentation for this, that they wanted to be able to, you know, they wanted spy satellites. That's like the whole purpose of NASA. If you look into it, there's actually, there's a thing called the secret space program. It sounds far more conspiratorial than it is. Okay. Because it's actually totally legitimate. Uh, it's not, it's not made by Alex Jones. It's called the secret space program. And it just lays out and it shows you, says, no, look, all they cared about was getting spy satellites into the sky. That's it both, both governments, the USSR and the United States. So, you know, that, but that can't be all of the reason. I mean, you know, we don't need a spy satellite on the moon. So why did they go to the moon? Did they actually go to the moon? An interesting point on that. Um, there seems to be two camps of people as far as like going on the moon goes. And, and I guess we're going to start diving into some conspiracy theory territory here because the article, the, the kind of the final article I want to bring up is a bit of a conspiracy. I find to be a bit of a conspiracy theory. Um, but you know, with, with the moon and maybe I'll do a special on the moon in the future. I don't know. Um, there's people who think that it never happened, you know, that the whole thing was staged and Stanley Kubrick, you know, he, he did it all. And there's a movie called the shining code 2.0, where apparently, uh, you can find it on YouTube where apparently Stanley Kubrick says, yeah, or, you know, he's, he's artistically saying I faked the moon landing. Um, you know, and that we never actually went there and we just, we had to fake it because that way we'd beat the Russians to the punch, you know, and they wouldn't even try whatever. And then there's the people who think, you know, no, we went there and that was pretty amazing that somehow we pulled that off and good job, you know, hooray, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. Um, I'm actually kind of in a third camp 
Okay. Now, I mean, people don't just say that they faked it because of like, because of Stanley Kubrick, you know, in, in the movie, the shining, they say it because they feel they have like a lot of photographic proof, like the photographs from the moon. There's, there's all kinds of problems where like the lights not shining right, or the flags doing something funny, or there's no tracks behind one of the rovers, uh, you know, all, all this different evidence. And there's a bunch more, uh, then there was an episode of Mythbusters where apparently they relatively prove that, yes, we did go to the moon. Um, not that I needed Mythbusters to tell me we, we went to the moon. Uh, I do believe we went to the moon. However, I'm kind of in a third camp on the whole moon thing. This is kind of a sidetrack, but I think that there are discrepancies in the photos. And I think those discrepancies are there because they're hiding something. They being, I guess, the United States government. Um, is it alien technology? No, I'm not making that claim at all. Uh, for the record, I've said this before on sovereign tech and I'll say it again. I do not believe unless it was like on Mars thousands of years ago, which, uh, new articles have come out that say Mars at one point did support life. Um, there, there are no aliens in this solar system, maybe on Europa, but you get my point nobody's traveling from outside the solar system into ours. It's just, it's not happening. Okay. Faster than light travel doesn't happen. And if they're pulling off generational starships just to look at humans, uh, then those aliens are quite frankly, pathetic. Um, generational starships is the idea that, okay, yeah, we know it's going to take a hundred years. So what we'll do is you'll have kids on the way there and you'll teach those kids how to use all the equipment and everything. And then those kids will carry on the mission for you after the first generation that left the original alien planet die. That's a generational spar- uh, starship. And like I said, if aliens were pulling that off, um, just to study something, I mean that, well, maybe they just, they have a greater, like, you know, they're more willing to give up their life for a waste because if I looked at the earth and I looked at humans, I'd, There'd be some of them that I'm proud of. There's others that I'd be like, wow, you guys, what are you guys doing? Uh, anyway, so, so I'm kind of of that third camp that they are hiding something on the moon and there's some proof to, there's some truth to that and some proof to it in the late two thousands, uh, India discovered, you know, using some of their, their space programs, some of their, their stuff, they discovered that there was water on the moon. And they made this big announcement. I think it was 2007. They made this huge, huge announcement uh, that, you know, we found water. This is very exciting. Let's get, let's get to the moon. Let's do this. And NASA comes out and says, we already knew that. And the whole world goes, what do you mean you already knew that? Why did we, why, why did India waste millions of dollars in the, I mean, they didn't waste, but in this case, it would have been wasting if we already knew there was water. Why do they waste millions of, do- of dollars to find out that there's water on the moon? If we already knew that it's because NASA didn't tell anybody and they showed the documentation. They said, no, look, we've got it right here. We knew in the sixties that there's water on the moon. Big whoop. So my point in, in telling that story is that, yeah, NASA does, does keep stuff quiet as far as what they found on the moon. You know, who knows what else they've kept quiet again. I'm not saying it's aliens. Uh, please. I'm not, not that kind of guy. Um, so anyway, speaking of a little bit of NASA cover up. Okay. This is kind of the last article I want to bring up here. And then we'll talk about privatized space a little more. Um, after all these stories came out, like I said, Elon Musk, Dennis Tito, uh, Mars one, 
the D space industries, all these guys suddenly say, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing it. We're going to get out of earth orbit. We're going to start making stuff happen. Suddenly NASA releases a story on March, March 1st. It says NASA probe detects third radiation belt around earth. And this is from the RT. Um, now the radiation belt around the earth, there's what they call Van Allen belts. Uh, we'll, we'll read the article. Maybe I'll describe it. Scientists assume that there are only two radiation rings around the earth, but a recently launched NASA probe has detected a new temporary belt as radiation rings pose serious hazards. The findings have implications for future manned flights. I'll repeat that. The finding has implications for future manned flights. The third belt of radioactive energy particles was detected by the two Van Allen probes shortly after they were launched into space in August last year and lasted for nearly a month. Okay. The Van Allen probes. So you have, you have these two Van Allen belts, like these belts of radiation that kind of shoot out from the magnetic magnetic poles of the earth. And now suddenly on the cusp of, you know, private privatized space, really on the cusp of all these people suddenly saying, here we go. We've got the technology. We're going to do it. Suddenly NASA says, yeah, yeah. See, there's this, there's this third one. There's this third Van Allen belt and you know, you never know when it's going to be there and when it's not going to be there. So, and it'll kill you. So yeah, maybe we shouldn't do this whole man thing, you know, going into outer space or at least, you better put it past us. You better clear it with us. I'll keep reading the article a little bit here. Um, the third belt of radioactive energy particles was detected by two Van Allen probes shortly after they were launched into space in August last year. That would be 2012 and lasted for nearly a month. But the discovery may have been made more by chance than by intention. NASA activated the probes months earlier than expected to overlap another similar mission that was ending. And within a day noticed a third belt forming between the two well-known ones. We started wondering if there was something wrong with our instruments. We checked everything. But there was nothing wrong with them. The third belt persisted beautifully day after day, week after week for uh, four weeks, said Shri Krenkel, the deputy mission scientist for the probes at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. Uh, Van Allen belts were discovered back in 1958 by the first U.S. satellite explorer one and named after the scientist who put Geiger counters on the space vessel in the hope of finding them. The Van Allen belts are pulled in by the Earth's gravity. The inner one is created by the collision of cosmic rays from outside our planetary system colliding with the earth's atmosphere while the outer one is created by solar wind elements that are released by the sun understanding them is not is key not just in theory but for manned missions the belt emit radiation that is dangerous to crew members and equipment and are subject to solar flares uh, sun eruptions from the energy from the sun and geomagnetic storms astronauts have to be shielded in special suits while satellites and onboard devices get switched off when radiation gets too high the third belt appeared between the two existing ones after a solar eruption blasted particles from the outer belt into a slot between the two belts at the end of august scientists had noticed particles in the area in the past but never assumed they could be so numerous or structured. Four weeks later, another blast from the sun destroyed the short-lived phenomenon. Uh, the sun giveth and the sun taketh away. So anyway, we have this, this third belt now. And, you know, I mean, maybe they just never knew about it. And, and, and I am open to that. But it's just 
so strange that, you know, all this talk, there seems to be like this excitement people are doing like Elon Musk did this whole present, this huge presentation. Uh, I mean, just a packed house where he was saying, yeah, we're going to go to Mars. We're going to do this. And then suddenly out of nowhere, like I said, NASA says, oh, yeah, there, there's this other Van Allen belt. And boy, if, if that's going, your, your whole crew's dead. Um, it's all over. And boy, that just seems fishy to me. <laughs> it really does. I mean, that smacks so, so odd. Like, I mean, is the timing just coincidence? Maybe, maybe it is. Um, anyway, I, I found that I, I really did just find that to be so odd and I'm not going, you know, there's a lot of theories like, uh, there's actually, it's an interesting thing. If you want to look it up on YouTube, it's called alternative three. And what this was, it was a, um, it was a show. There was a show in, I think in the eighties called science report, uh, that it, it was a serious show, it, you know, just every week it was on like, you know, BBC one or whatever. And it would, um, you know, it documented what was going around around the world in, in science. It's all kind of like cosmos, obviously not as done with as much panache as Carl Sagan would do, but it was a serious documentary type show and the show got canceled. And for their last episode, their last episode aired on April 1st. And so they kind of, they, they did what was apparently a joke and the whole show. And I mean, a lot of people got fooled by this, you know, because science report, again, the show was deadly serious. It wasn't a joke of a show. And the host, the host was, you know, an older guy, you know, very, very, you know, it's someone you'd look at as like an authority of some kind. And they laid out this whole thing about how, about what they called a brain drain where supposedly Russia and the United States, all the great scientists were disappearing, you know, and all these like key people were just like going away. And you know, the, 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 the host of science reports said, yeah, we, we got this information from an anonymous tip and we started looking into it, you know, to do our due diligence. And now there's points in this where you see actors, Okay. Well, like people that you can find in other movies, you know, particularly like American actors. So that kind of lends to the idea that it's fake in the first place, but what you find out, what the show claims, this all, this, the special episode of this April 1st episode of science report called alternative three, you find out that there Russia and the United States were, you know, have colonized Mars. And they colonized Mars like in the sixties. And at the end of the episode, they actually even, they, they play like 10 seconds of footage, uh, from Mars and some like weird thing happens there anyway. So, you know, this idea that the government is like hiding a lot of space programs that they've done and that that's why privatized space has yet to take off is not new. Um, a lot of, a lot of people have thought it up. A lot of people think about it. Uh, and par again, part of the, the credibility to it is that the technology to do these things now is very, very old, not all of it, but most of it to achieve what, what these people are talking about doing we've had. And in fact, uh, Werner von Braun, I mean, you know, pretty much wrote it out. Project Mars from 1950. That's a great, great book. Uh, I mean, you can feel the datedness of it, 
but um, but it, it's a phenomenal read if you ever want to look into that by Werner by uh, Werner von Braun. And so you know, and then you you get an article like this where suddenly, oh yeah, we found out there's this deadly thing that's just going to kill you if you go past it. Uh, so maybe you guys should stay home, you know, and and, and leave all this up to the big boys. Uh, or at least make sure you get our permission to do these things. You know, I mean, it, it just, it is to me, it is very, very, very odd. Um, but you know, let's talk about those government regulations, you know, and now they've got a new one because they're like, well, you're going to have to go at this set set time so they can make sure that you only pass through whenever that third Van Allen belt isn't there. If they end up actually letting any of these plans go through, um, with humans on them anyway, you know. And you have to wonder, like, if there weren't all these regulations that people had to, I mean, you can't, this, this is my point. You can't just, um, you know, you can't just build a spaceship. Say, say you just, you had the money and you had the time and you put together your own spaceship somehow. Okay. The astronaut farmer, whatever. And you went to, you know, you said, okay, well now I'm going to go launch. I'll see y'all later. You can't do that. You can't just launch into space. There's, there's all these regulations. Now people will say, well, it's for safety. Cause what if that thing fails? What if it blows up? You know, that much fuel, uh, you know, this is dangerous. You can't have people doing that. Um, you know, look, if governments weren't here, insurance companies would probably be making sure that everything was covered if you know what I mean. So who knows where technology would be as far as that goes. But, um, you know, these regulations are just kill are, are destroying companies. Now companies would make sure it's safe in the first place. You know, if private companies were launching into space, they're, you know, they're not going to do something that's going to injure people because then they got, you know, they're going to have like this huge lawsuit or they're, they're going to lose all the money they have because no, no, you know, uh, right thinking person would ever buy from them again. Do, do you see what I'm saying? They have to please human beings. So they're, you know, they're going to do, um, you know, they're going to make sure it's, it's done right. They're going to make sure it's a safe, probably 10 times safer than any, uh, government, plan would ever be. Um, in fact, you know, real quick, speaking of that, there was a, uh, a news article just a couple months ago where they, they pretty much discovered that NASA knew that the Columbia, the, the Columbia tragedy where, you know, quite a few astronauts died. Uh, this is about 10 years ago. Apparently now they're coming out and they admitted that NASA knew that Columbia wouldn't make it back and they let those people die and they didn't tell them pretty, pretty, pretty twisted stuff that that's that I, sorry, that's kind of a sidetrack. But my point in saying that is, is that private companies, you know, the, the government, why, why should they care? They're going to get your money no matter what private companies would not have, have such a luxury. You know, when people say, well, private companies don't care about humans, they put toxins into the water. They put toxins into the water because they know the government's not going to get them. Do, do you see what I'm saying? That the government's going to back them up when these companies crash, the government just, just bails them out usually. Okay. So, so, so don't, don't blame the companies. <laughs> there, there's, there's a, a control structure that exists in the world known as governments. And that's what allows a lot of this, this nonsense and this, you know, endangering to occur. Um, and again, it has no incentive, you know, government has no incentive to do things right or to do things safe. It really doesn't. It just doesn't. So you have to wonder where we'd be if private companies, 
you know, could just go ahead and, and do it and not have to go through all these legal hoops on, you know, getting stuff, making it look like this and, and going through this window and making sure that they don't tick the Russians off when they fly over and, you know, all, all this stuff. I mean, who knows? We could already be in space hotels. We could already be on Mars. In fact, I'm fairly certain we would be. Um, and just an interesting, an interesting aside, you know, now that things are, are kind of getting out of NASA's hands, it seems a little bit. And these private companies are still, I mean, apparently this third radiation belt hasn't, hasn't set any of them off. They're doing it anyway, but you know, people still talk about how, yeah, but it, it's going to take such a long time to get there. Like we talked about with Dennis Tito's plan with the married couple where they would end up, you know, it would take 501 days. Well, the, the good thing with that is that, Apparently, uh, they're now designing, and uh, this is this is from April of 2013. But there's a fusion rocket um, that's being designed that would get people to Mars in 30 days. So let Deep Space Industries, you know, like work on the gas stations and all that stuff. Um, and here we go. We can do it in 30 days now. Uh, I mean, how, how can you beat that? So the, this stuff is possible. And, you know, now this science, this kind of science, like we've been talking about this whole episode is getting funded by like billionaires in Silicon Valley. Look how fast suddenly we're leaping in technology. Like the dragon two from SpaceX. This one's not like the dragon one looks like I said, it looks like an Apollo spacecraft It's very little difference. Okay. The Dragon 2 is going to look so alien, they're saying. I mean, you won't even, like, you just, they're claiming you won't even recognize it. So now that real money's getting involved and people have to live up to that money because it can't just be taken by taxation. You know, we're getting these, these insane advancements. Finally. Finally. And that is so exciting. I mean, it, it is awesome. Um, in fact, with this, uh, real quick with this, you know, this fusion rocket that can do it in 30, ta- in 30 days. Um, they're saying the team's idea, this is at a, a university of Washington team. The team's idea is to use a strong magnetic field to fuse a series of metal rings into a shell around a deuterium plasma. The shell compresses the plasma, creating a fusion reaction that lasts just 25 millionths of a second. Um, the reaction heats the metal shell and blasts it out of the back of the rocket at 67,000 miles per hour, propelling the rocket. The team hopes that enough of these brief reactions, they can push a rocket along continually all the way to Mars. So it's not just going to keep firing. You know, the engines aren't just going to keep firing. They're, they're going to do like systematic, uh, you know, quick billions of a second shots. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's going to get you there in 30 days in Incredible. So the technology is here. Okay. The technology is here to finally do all of this. The plans are devised. The ability, I mean, the ability is there. The desire is clearly there. That's why all these people are getting funding. And I mean, it's all set up. And, and in fact, again, you know, this was the first article we talked about, um, where the, the O'Neillians are here, you know, the guys that, that said, okay, look, government can't do this whole space thing. We've got to get private entrepreneurs involved. That was said in the sixties. What took so long? Government took so long. Government got in the way. And you know, if you want to get into conspiracy theories as to why the government got in the way, 
sometimes I don't blame people, you know, especially when it comes to outer space. Uh, like with these radiation belts, I mean, there's people who say that those radiation belts are so bad. That's one of their like provings. This is just with two of them, not with the third one that we were talking about in this segment. But some people say, you know, that's why they, they actually didn't get to the moon because they couldn't have, humans could not, there's just no way they could survive the Van Allen belts. I don't think that's accurate, but you know, who knows? Okay. You know, and another thing with the moon landing, like, it's true that there is a certain point in the recording of the Apollo mission where they're filming earth. Okay. They're not on the moon right now. They're on their way to the moon and they're filming earth. And there's a point where they actually, they do a zoom out trick on the camera inside the capsule. They're looking out a window inside the capsule. They do a zoom out trick, you know, where, where it makes the earth look smaller and they act like they're further away from the moon than they are, or they're further away from earth than they are. And they recorded as such, and it was played on TV. So yeah, so they lied, you know, there's one example of them lying. Uh, does that mean they didn't go to the moon? No, that just means that, that they went for like some glory shots to make it look really good. What well, was probably actually pretty har- harrowing. Um, so you know, so when people, you know, say they give you all these conspiracy theories about the whole space thing, sometimes I don't blame them because again, we have all the technology already. Why aren't we out there? And it's not like, it's not the money's there too. All the money's there to make this stuff happen. You know, NASA's budget doesn't compare to what Bill Gates makes to what, you know, some of these other guys are making in, in, in the, you know, thanks to the internet. And, you know, I, I can only, I mean, if you can find ways to support these companies, please do so. Um, but I think the real trick, and this is, this is kind of the major point that I want to hit home here. The real trick to getting us into space is to put an end to the monopoly on force is to put an end to governments because they're the only thing that's holding humanity back from anything and everything, you know, now the case could be made that religion's a problem too. Um, you know, but even that's kind of like coming into the Catholic church said in 2007, I believe it was, they, they said, yeah, you know, there could be alien life. So now the church isn't even really in the way anymore. You know, it, it it's, it's government and it's got to go so that we can grow as a species so that we can have the abundance that like DSI was talking about in that video. Check out that video. It's beautiful. Um, you know, where they tell you, you can have the good life. You can have opulence. You can have it all. You know, we don't have to be, you know, resources don't have to be scarce. You know, we can get to post scarcity and going into outer space is one of the ways that we can do that. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, I think I'm going to wrap it up. You know, we got kind of into conspiracy territory. The whole point that I really wanted to make with this is that everything, all the, all the chess pieces are in the right place to get humans off of the earth and thriving in our solar system. And then in turn thriving on earth as well, because of the abundance that's out there. And again, that government is what's in the way. It's what's stopping everything from happening. Anyway, this has been Sovereign Tech. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, 
please don't hesitate to look me up uh, on Google Plus. Actually, you know, I've, I've been pushing Google Plus quite a bit. I, I'll, I'll just make this quick. Um, it's Google Plus is growing. I mean, that is really, really growing. And so I'm making my, you know, my presence, Sovereign Tech's presence there re- as big as I possibly can. And in fact, now, if you go to SovereignTech.com, S-O-V-R-Y-N, of course. If you go to SovereignTech.com, and if you find the G-plus link on the right, you scroll down just a little bit, and on the right, there's the G-plus link. That's actually going to take you to my personal page. And you can, you know, circle me and interact. I post all day long on Google+. Plus. Um, I love it. The, the amount of information that I find on there. So many of the articles that, that made up the special, okay, uh, I found on Google+. Plus. You know, and it was so easy to find just because of the beautiful presentation. Um, so, you know, you can get interactive with me personally there. I'm inviting you to please, you know, I, I understand like there's, you know, I don't want to be a creeper and click, you know, circle you. And, and then you're like, oh, you know, this person doesn't know me. And I know I'm saying, go ahead, come on and circle me. Okay. It's all right. You know, and in fact, there's an easy URL. I'll tell it to you right now. You can type in G plus G P L U S dot T O slash Brian Sovereign. Okay. B-R-I-A-N-S-O-V-R-Y-N. And that'll take you right to my page and and go ahead and circle me, put me in your acquaintances, your friends, whatever. Okay. Uh, I post stuff all the time. Um, There's also a sovereign tech page. You can go to to same thing. G plus G P L U S dot T O slash sovereign tech. And that'll take you to the sovereign tech page. But I share all the stuff on the sovereign tech page. I share that on my page too, on my profile. So check that out. Uh, that's where a lot of this stuff's happening and it's, it's really, really exciting to, you know, to see. Um, and also of course you get, uh, not, not with the specials, but the regular episodes of sovereign tech, you get a day early on G plus through the, through the YouTube, you get the YouTube video, you get it a day early before it hits the feeds, before it's on LRN.FM, um, before it's on any radio, before, before it's on the SoundCloud page, before it's even on SovereignTech.com. you get it. If you go, if you're on G plus, so, which, uh, which I think is just very, very, very exciting. Um, anyway, that, that's it for me. Uh, it has been a pleasure doing this with you. Uh, you know, check out the articles, you know, look at the evidence for yourself. Send me an email, sovereigntech at hush.ai or, or at sovereigntech.com. You can ask a question and, you know, let me know what you think. If there, if you have answers to some of this stuff, or if you have like maybe some debunkings, some of the conspiracies we talked about, talk to me and I'll do it in a listener email section in a later show. Okay. And, and it'll be a great time. So again, thank you so much for joining me. This has been Brian Sovereign and you've been listening to Sovereign Tech. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.tumblr.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N tech.tumblr.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. <laughs> <laughs>